We're glad you're here with us today on the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We pray God's word speaks to your heart today as Pastor Chapman Laxton shares the word with us. I'm sure a lot like you guys, in one of your Bibles, maybe one of your older Bibles, just like mine at home, I have, I have written in the front of a Bible that I was given whenever I was 12 years old that says this, right on the inside cover of my Bible, it says, this book will keep you from sin, but sin will try to keep you from this book. My mom wrote that on the inside cover of my Bible, and I, every time I'd open my Bible, I would look at that, and it would remind me what the purpose of that word was. It was to keep me in the lifestyle, in the thought process, in the power that God would have for me. But while all that it was true, sin would try to keep me from the words of that book. And, and it goes without saying that that's the enemy's intent, to keep us from a knowledge of what God's word said. And why wouldn't he? When we read scriptures like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, all scripture is God-breathed. Well, let alone, we could just stop right there. We know what God's breath does. It brings life. But not only does it bring life, it brings life because it says it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want you to know tonight, if you didn't know this, you are the servant that God is looking to equip. And the way he's looking to equip you is through his word. Why wouldn't the enemy want to keep you from the power of the word of God through sin? It's all a part of his scheme. Everything that he does, everything that he tries is to manipulate us in how we view God and how we view his word and how we view his people and how we view his church. So it would, of course, it'd be a part of his plan. But God's word is so important to our lives. And, and while I love all the different kinds of sermons that we preach here, topical sermons having to deal with, with world issues and what's going to be our biblical response and all the different things, what you got to know is at the end of the day, if there's a word coming forth from this pulpit, regardless of who's up here, it's not about our opinion, it's about the word of God. It's about what the word of God says because that's where the power comes from. The only approach that we can look to have as a church, as, pe- as pastors, as preachers, as teachers, whatever, is what the Word of God says. And, and, wh- and again, while I love topical sermons, I love the kinds of sermons where we just study God's Word. Because it's real easy to preach. I would be honest. It's real. Don't take it up with me. L- look, I... We're just going down the line here. We're just reading what God's word says. But, but what you have to understand is while I think that these sermons are great and I'm excited about this study so far, I, I loved what Mel did last week kicking this all off. While we're going to spend some time in Ephesians over this t- today and over the next several weeks, 
this preaching can't take the place of personal Bible time. We're going to get, hopefully there's some commentary tonight, there's some thoughts that I bring out that's thought-provoking, whether you've read Ephesians a hundred times before, or this is your introduction to Ephesians. Regardless of where you're at, I I pray that this is good for you, but however, it, it can't end here in your study of Ephesians. Because this book is powerful, and and I want you to understand, while God wants you to hear something from the pulpit, he wants you to hear something personally. God wants you to hear something from the pulpit. The pastors, I'm not trying to get all into regular, the the further on stuff in Ephesians that we'll talk about, and all the things that God's given to the church. I don't, pastor I think is going to preach on that in the next couple weeks. But this can't take the place of your own personal study. Because in 30 minutes, I can't hope to accomplish what the Holy Spirit could accomplish in your time that you invest in Ephesians, in, in, in the Word of God in its totality. And, and here's the great thing. While we can, we can look at, you can, you can get overwhelmed by all the different things that you can read, read something. Read Read something. Read, start in Ephesians. Hey, here we're doing Ephesians 2 today. All right, we got that one checked up. Dude, start reading Ephesians chapter 3. Find you some place to start. And if you're like, I don't have a Bible, I, I don't have, get one. Come to me. I've got a bunch. Let's, we got to put the Word of God in your hands so that you're doing this on your own. It can't just be from us. And if you're like, well, I've got one, but I don't understand it, get you a Bible that you can read and understand. Because what do you think sounds more like God's heart? Read this translation of the Bible because somebody said so. Or get you a version of the Bible that you can comprehend and apply to your life. What sounds more like God's heart? God wants you to study his word. He wants you to read his word and know what it says and then be able to apply it to your life. Not just enough to memorize something in, in some old English that we don't know. Or, and I'm not trying to put down King James or New King James or anything like that. But you do know that Jesus didn't speak English, right? Like, you know that, right? I wish somebody would have told Jesus he was speaking the wrong language. No, we, we took the word of God and we translated it so that we could apply. Find you a version of the Bible. Find you, get you a Bible. Get in the word and study it. Because there's a revelation that God wants to tell you and speak to you. And, uh, and, and again, we're going to highlight some things here in chapter 2. And I'm going to follow kind of Mel's suit. We're not, we're not going to do a line by line. These are just some things that I think is, is, is some important things to pull out of chapter 2. But what you've got to know is this isn't in the totality of everything that you could ever know out of chapter 2. Don't walk out of here and think, well, Chapman covered it all, so I don't ever need to look into it. Go and dive in, dive back over, dive back over, comb back over. Because the word of God is alive. And it wants to do something in your life. And what it wants to do in your life is transform your life. It wants to bring change, it wants to bring power, it wants to bring peace, it wants to bring authority that you can know how to live. And so tonight what I've got are four major points that I think are, are, are great things to pull from Ephesians chapter 2. And, and uh, we're just going to go ahead and get on in. Um, the, the first major point that I want us to see, it's not me, 
but it's what I think that we need to come to, a, to an understanding in our faith is this. The first major point is that there is a separation between those who are dead in sin and those that have been made alive in Christ. First major thing I want you to know, there is a separation between those who are dead in sin and that have been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy left us just as we were because he gets us. That's not actually in there. I just was hypothetically. No. He made us alive with Christ when we were dead in our transgressions. For it is by grace you have been saved. The first thing you've got to see is that Paul is trying to let us know that there is a clear distinction between an old way of living and the new way of life that God wants you to live. There is a process of change that happens and a transformation that comes and your new life in Christ should look different than your old life without him. And it will. It just will. God didn't leave us where we were. Instead, he came to us, he dined with us, he, he spent time with us, and then he raised us to life with him because it's by grace that we've been, been saved. But, but here's the thing, and, 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 and it's important that we get this. There are people that want to try to recreate a Christ in the progressive Christian realm, and it's a Christ that forgives you of your sin, but you don't really need that. Just here's the blessing and just go, just go do you. I want to ask you a question. Are people who are safe in need of saving? Are people who are safe in need of saving? What kind of people need saving? People who are in danger. If I'm safe, I don't need saving. If, if people who are well, do they need healing? Are people who are dirty, do they need, do, or people who are clean, do they need cleansing? No, there's a, there's, a, there's a separation. Matthew 9, verse 11. It says, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. All my big pharma people are saying amen right here because they get this. It ain't the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. See, while maybe we can't always trust big pharma to have our best interests at mind because it's the sick who need a doctor, the great physician knows our needs and knows the importance of making us well. But if someone who has a broken arm is convinced that their arm is not broken, do they go and get their broken arm fixed? Until you see the need and there being a difference in the life, and that's, that's what I pray has happened to everybody in this room. 
there was a time where you were standing there, busted up wing, busted up leg, busted up. You were hurt, you were broken, and you realized my life is not what it could be. I am in need of saving. I'm in need of the physician. And here's the great news. Christ came out of love to heal us. Christ came out of love to heal us. Uh, Hosea 6. Come let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. Then my judgments go forth like the sun. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That, when we first read that, it's hard because the English translation. But here's really what God is saying. Here's really what Christ is saying. I desire to show you mercy rather than you have to atone for your sin. My desire, my desire is to heal you. Not that you should have to pay the repercussions of your actions. God is the same today that he was yesterday. They had a different covenant. We have a new covenant today. And while there is a separation from those who are dead in their sin to those that are made alive, what you need to know is God's, God's heart is, I desire to show you mercy. Not that you should have to make atonement for your sin. My desire is to raise you with my son, not that you should be dead in your sin. My desire is to take you out of this group and bring you into this group. So if God is for you, what's stopping you from here? You've got to come to the realization there's a different life that I can live. That's the first major thing that we need to see. The second thing it's equally important is this. We always have to keep it in front of us. I even think not the newer that you are in Christ, but the older that you get in Christ is this fact right here. We didn't earn God. You didn't earn God. You didn't earn God. And a lot of times that's a hard hurdle when you're new in Christ, but let me tell you something. It's, it gets harder the older that you get in Christ. It gets harder the longer your relationship with God goes. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works that no one may boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. No one can boast. You can't boast in how you came to God, and you can't boast in how you're with God now. Your good works didn't 
earn your reputation with God or earn your relationship with God and your good works don't keep you in relationship with God. Your relationship with Christ got you your relationship with God. Your relationship with Christ keeps you your relationship with God. It's not performance-based. That's not how God's mercy works. It is a gift. You know what the great thing about gifts are? They're not earned. The, the main definition of a gift is what? It's given. It's not a payment. It's not a transaction. It's not, it's not through a subscription base and you paid so much of your monthly dues and now here's some mercy for you. Well, you got mercy there while you were dead in your sin. Guess what you still have today while you're made, made alive in Christ? Mercy. Mercy every day. And the older that we get in Christ, we start getting that thought process mixed up. Not because we think that we've arrived and we're better than God, but we think now, well, I really needed his mercy then. I should know better now. So now it's all on me if I don't make this work. It's all on me if God, if I fail God, it's, it's all because of me. If, if God can't work through me, it's because of me. Mercy given got you here. Mercy given will keep you here. And when you start trying to change how God's new covenant works, Things ain't going to work for you. Luke, chapter 7, verse 38 says, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. He said, you have judged correctly. Jesus said, then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, yet you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Consider this. Whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Do you think this is Jesus attempting to get us out of great acts of love? Or perhaps he's trying to show us that while we all have different consequences of our sins, and I'm not trying to put telling a lie up there with grand theft auto and murder, it was all of our sin, collectively, that put him there. And when you realize just how great God's mercy has been in your life, just how great a debt you've been forgiven, you begin to realize, boy, God's love for me. 
See, he who has been forgiven little loves little is not about, well, as long as you haven't done anything wrong. Don't worry about loving people. Let, leave that for the real sinners that have changed their lives. No, the idea is do you have an understanding of just how much God has given you a gift and how much you have not earned it? How much you have not earned it? How much that you haven't earned the excuse to not serve, to not worship, to not be in awe at the gift that was given? Or have you forgotten? Have you forgotten where you were? Have you forgotten just how far you've come? Have you come to the place where I just earn it by my own works, my own goodness? Or is every day do you remind yourself, God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. We've got to understand that we didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. It's not from us. So we've got to quit holding back in our worship, in our service, in being obedient to what the Word of God says. I fulfill that in other ways. I fulfill it in this way. What has God called you and how has he called you to fulfill those things? Or why do you think that you're any higher than the woman weeping at Jesus' feet? Because let me tell you something. She had relationship. The Pharisee didn't. The, the, the sinner, the, the vile woman had relationship. Intimacy was noticed. And the Pharisee who was doing everything right. We didn't earn it. And it's because of God's love. It moves us, it moves us into our third point here. It's this, we are God's projects of love for love. You are God's project of love for love. See, God loved you, he wanted you, so you became his handiwork. Prepared in advance to do good work. But Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Created in Christ Jesus, you were reborn. You were recreated. You were, you were raised from dead to life through love for love. To do good works. What kind of works? Good works. And, and what works are good? only works that are done in love because it's impossible to do good works without love first uh, corinthians 13 1 through 3 if i speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love i am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if i have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and i have the faith that can move mountains but do not have love i am nothing if i give all that i possess to the poor, and even give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. You were created in love for love. 
It was by love that you were created. It was by love that you were bought. It was by love that you were given the seal of the Holy Spirit. It was God's great love. I'm not trying to re-preach what I preached on Sunday. But it was because God so loved us that he recreated you and gave you real purpose beyond self-fulfillment, beyond self-acclaim. You were created by love for love. And once again, we see the importance of understanding the love of God is paramount to the kind of life that we live. Without an understanding of God's love, we'll never live the life that God wants us to live because we do things for the wrong reasons, and with the wrong reasons, we don't get the results that God would want us to have. You were created by love, for love. And, and, and the, last, the last major point I want to get across is all of this, all of these things was to do one thing. And this is my last major point. It's to make us all one. It was to make us all one. We were recreated by love, for love, to be made into one. It's the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. We were joined together. We were recreated in this purpose. We were, risen, we were raised from death to life. We didn't have to earn it. We were, we were recreated in love so that God could unify us as one. As one. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 11 through 13 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Again, that realization. There was a, there was a, there was a time where we were separate from the covenant with Christ. We, we've always got to keep that at the forefront of our mind. There was a separation. There was a time where we were not destined to be with Christ. We were destined to be away from Christ. However, we were excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by our great works by our great talents? No. Brought near by the blood of Christ. You were brought near by the blood of Christ, and don't you forget it. You were brought near to be a part of the body of Christ by the blood of Christ. Transfused into the very body to be recreated into the very likeness of Christ. Don't you forget it. We can't forget in our Western churches, we're not trying to emulate anybody else except Christ. That's why I'm very careful with who I choose to listen to outside of this church. Because I don't want to put myself under the leadership of someone who may not or maybe is trying to pursue, trying to be just like Christ. The reason why I submit myself under Pastor Asher, the reason why I submit myself under Melanie, I know that they are trying to be just like Christ. I know that. 
Therefore, I submit myself under them because that's, how I, that's what we've been called to be united to. There was separation. Now there's none for those who are under the blood. And once you've been brought close by the blood, it'd be only through the blood that you could be taken away. And that's not how the blood of God works. The blood of God was paid to bring people near, not to exclude. The the Passover lamb was put over the doorposts as a protection so that there would be a remnant. When you put yourself under the blood of Christ, you are now included in the remnant with those that have been raised to life. That's the power of the blood. That's the power of the blood. Ephesians 2, verses 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace. Never doubt the plan of God. Never doubt the plan of God. And don't let people move you to blame what God has done so much work and put so much effort into trying to create. Don't be moved into hating the church. Don't be moved into hating God's people who he is trying to reconcile to himself. Don't be moved there. Because remember there was a time whenever you, and yet still he paid to bring you closer. He paid to bring you closer. His blood paid to bring you closer. People blame the church and swear off being a part of it, yet it was the very plan that God used to convey the new humanity. And you've got to understand, this isn't a new plan. This isn't a new plan. God didn't draw us up in the dirt and go, oh, hey, that might work out. It's been his plan from the beginning. He's been planning this out since the fall. Since Adam and Eve, this, this was the plan. This is what we was trying to get to. This is what he was trying to create. One humanity where everybody could be underneath him, protected, guarded, given provision. Isaiah 9. I love this verse. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as a people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, 
Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Two things as I close. Two things. Don't be like the disciples who didn't understand the government, the system that he was trying to set up wasn't going to be an earthly system with a person on a throne here. The throne was going to be inside. And the parameters of the peace and the provision and the power that it would produce in the people would have no end because it creates a direct line to God. It's the first thing. And the second thing I want you to know is how, how, how is this going to be, how would this be accomplished? How is this to happen? What, how would we, how are we, how? The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Zeal means incredible passion to see it through. This ain't a new plan. This, this ain't a sandbox play. This ain't a Hail Mary attempt by God one more time to see if we can get these people redeemed back. And boy, I don't know what we're going to do if this doesn't work out. Jesus, I don't know what it's going to do. Now, this has been the plan. His son was always the plan. The seal of his Holy Spirit was going to be the provision so that we could live a life more abundant, a wonderful life, a Zoe life, a God kind of life. Ephesians 2.20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. On this rock, God said, I will build my church. He's the cornerstone. He's seeing it through. Commit yourself to the plan. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.